In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Our Bible study from Psalm 119. The Psalm actually is composed of 22 sections. These 22 sections are structured according to the Hebrew alphabet. There are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Each section start with a letter for example if if the letter a b c so section one every verse in section one start with the letter a every verse in the second section start with the letter b every verse in the third section start with the letter c and so on and in each section there are eight verses there are eight verses in each section and almost in every verse, there is reference to the Word of God. For example, today we'll study section 17 and 18. S section 17 starts by verse 129. For example, in verse 129, the word is testimony. 130, your words. And 131, your commandments. 133, your word. 134, uh, your precepts, 135, your statutes, and, and so on. So there is only one verse, verse 132, there is no reference to the Word of God. But that, that's why I said almost in every verse, in every verse, there is reference to the Word of God. As I told you, we will study section 17 and 18, Section 17, the 17th letter of the Hebrew alphabet is P. And the 18 letters of the Hebrew alphabet is Sad. So, P is the 17th letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And as I told you then, every verse in the 17th section, from verse 129 to verse 136, each verse starts with the letter P. In this section, the psalm prays for relationship. He said, look upon me, be merciful to me. Also, the psalm prays for guidance. When he said, direct my steps by your word. Let no iniquity have dominion over me. Also, he prays for rescue. When he said, redeem me from the oppression of man. And also he is praying for blessing when he said, make your face shine upon your servant, teach me. So he is praying for relationship, for guidance, for rescue, and for blessing. And in this section you feel there is a desperation in the tone of the psalmist as he seeks to know the truth of the word of God. The psalmist prays that the marvelous law of God be the rule of his life in spite of the temptation and he grieves for those who neglect the word of God. Section 18 of this psalm from verse 137 to verse 144 each verse begins with the Hebrew letter Sad. 
And in this section, the psalmist, in the midst of his daily struggles, unfold a three phases progression which shows us how believers can, should, and must worship God through His Word for our good and for His glory, for our good and His glory. What are these progressions? I told you three progressions. Number one, in verse 140, he loves the Word of God. Then, because he loves the Word of God, the second progression in 141, he will not forget the precepts of the Word of God. And in, in verse 143, the commandments are his delight. So he loves it, he will not forget it, and or they are his delight. So section 17, the theme of this section, steps directed by God's wonderful word. Is our steps are directed by God's wonderful word. Section 18, the purity and truth of God's word. The purity and truth of God's word. Let's start from verse 129. Your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. So the psalmist again declared his wonder in the word of God. It was a continuing source of fascination to him when he reads the word of God. Your testimonies, they are full of wonderful revelations, wonderful commandments, and wonderful promises. The scripture which testify of God and his mind and his will are wonderful, both with the respect of the author, because it reveals to us the wonderful character of God, and also wonderful in the things contained in the commandments themselves. Wonderful in the use and the advantage of the word of God for those who abide by the word of God. The word of God gives an account of the wonderful work of creation, of God the creator, and of the manner, order, time of their being formed. The word is a means that mediates God's wonders to his people. How we know what God did for us through the word of God? So we know the wonderful God and his wonderful work through the word of God. The testimonies of God instruct us, elevate us, strengthen us, and comfort us. That's why the mind at all by the wisdom of God's testimony. The wisdom of God is revealed through each chapter and each verse. As we read in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 18, there is width, length, depth, and height in the word of God. And the testimonies of the word of God are truly astonishing. Because the testimonies of God are wonderful, Therefore, the psalmist says, my soul keeps them. When you find a good treasure, a rich treasure, you will keep it. He found the word of God as a treasure, so he is keeping this rich treasure. The enduring, abiding delight he had in the word of God 
prompted great obedience. He is delighted in the word of God. He is amazed at the word of God. That's why he obeys the word of God. So this was obedience internally more than externally. Obedience in the soul before it's obedience in action from outside. Because those who see that the testimonies of God are wonderful will treasure them, will cherish them, and will preserve them carefully. The testimonies of God are not only wonderful because they are great, but they are wonderful because they are useful, they are light, enlighten our way, light in dark place. As we read in verse 130, the entrance of your word gives the light, it gives understanding to the simple. The psalmist repeated a previous idea in the Psalm 119, that the word of God brought light to him. And as he said, the entrance of your word, the entrance of your word gives light. Just the very entrance, when the word of God enters my mind and my heart, immerses the mind with instructions, because the word of God is so deep, overflowing, and so clear. But there has to be entrance, otherwise there is no light. The light should enter through the window, otherwise this place will be dark. In the same way, the word of God should enter into my mind and my heart, otherwise I will not be enlightened. That's why he said, the entrance of your world. So the mere hearing of the word of God with external ear of small value. But when the word of God enters into the depth of the heart, then light is dispersed and spread on all the corners of the heart. And the word of God also gives understanding to the simple. It gives understanding to the simple. And according to St. Augustine, the simple means the meek and the humble. St. Augustine says, Be not proud, therefore. Presume not in your own strength, which is nothing, and your understanding. Don't trust in your strength and your understanding. For it was given for this end, that it might make you a little one instead of great. When we comprehend that our understanding can be foolishness compared to the word of God, then I will know that I have no strength to do the law of my own power, as St. Augustine said. For it was given for this end, that it might make you a little one instead of great, that it might show you that you have no strength to do the law of your own power. Unless I have the grace of God, I cannot do anything. The word of God is a blessing for the simple. God did not forget the simple people, but the word of God gives them understanding. So this verse is a promise for the simple, the humble people. They can approach the word of God with confidence expecting God to give them understanding 
Don't say I don't understand the word of God because the word of God give understanding to the simple. Because the word of God is light giving and the psalmist desired the word of God like a thirsty animal pants for water. That's why in verse 131 he said, I opened my mouth and panted. Like animal is running, then he opened his mouth to take air inside his lung. I opened my mouth and panted for I longed for your commandments. So I opened my mouth and panted. Maybe he is panting because he is thirsty or panting to grasp an air. Panting always denotes desire. I opened my mouth and panted is a metaphor taken from an animal exhausted in the chase. He runs open mouth to take in the cooling air and the heart beating high. Or maybe it's a metaphor as a person out of breath does. When we walk or run, sometimes we stop and pant and open our mouth to draw in air to relief. Or as a hungry or a thirsty person pants for food or drink and open his mouth to receive it. This metaphor, I opened my mouth and panted, show the psalmist earnestness in his thought for salvation. And he said, for I longed for your commandments. So this panting because he longed for the commands of God. Longing that's not acted upon is just a wishing. True longing will show itself in deeds. If you long to somebody, you will go and see him. But if you don't act on your longing, then it's just a wish. That's why the psalmist is longing for the testimony of God, so he opened his mouth to receive the word of God. The psalmist here is one of those simple ones, opened his mouth, the mouth of his heart, by asking and praying. He panted long for the spirit of knowledge and mercy, that he may understand and observe the commandment of God, for he longed both to understand and to observe, to understand and to keep them. And according to St. Augustine, he opened his mouth by confessing that he could not do them for himself. He cannot understand by himself, he cannot apply by himself. So he opened his mouth by seeking, asking, and knocking. Seeking God, asking from God, and knocking on the door of God. Then he said in verse 132, Look upon me, and be merciful to me, as your custom is, toward those who love your name. Here it is a humble petition. All what he wants from God is just to look upon him. In previous verses, he expressed his love to the word of God. Now he is getting on his knees and praying. He asks not for the work of God's hand. No, he asks it only for a look. Look from God is more than enough. And actually, he is not asking for a look because he deserves it, relying on his merit. But he is beseeching the mercies of God. Look upon me and be merciful to me. 
He knows he is sinful and will not bear looking upon by the Lord, especially with the strict eye of justice. If God looked at him with the strict eye of justice, he cannot endure it. That's why he told him, look upon me and be merciful to me. He appeals to God's mercy, which shows that it was not any look, but he is asking for a look of grace and mercy. The psalmist has reason to believe that God would answer him and he would look upon him, because it is God's custom to look toward those who love your name, as your custom is toward those who love your name. That custom of God to look upon those who love him, which means giving them his attention, God will give his attention to them and be merciful to them. This promise that it is a custom of God is a solid ground, solid foundation for trusting and confident prayer in time of need. God's mercy is the source of all goodness godly men experience. Whatever we experience in our life from goodness, it is because of God's mercy. Then in verse 133 he said, Direct my steps by your word, and let no iniquity have dominion over me. That is the second request. After he asked him to look upon him, the second request, direct my steps by your word. He wanted the mercies of God to direct his steps according to the word of God. He wanted to take that mercy and use it to walk rightly before God. One can walk forward in life with confidence as he finds direction in God's words. So we will have confidence if God is directing our steps. And he is praying that no form of sin, no wicked passion, no bad desire, no lust might be allowed to rule over him. Let no iniquity have dominion over me. The psalmist was so wise to understand that sin can have dominion over a man and will become addictive to these sins. That's why St. Paul said, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. No sin will have dominion over me. No sin will control me. I will not be addicted by any sin. Because sin can attempt to gain and hold the dominion and control over our life. Even if the control in the beginning is small or seemingly insignificant area, but that dominion and control will grow in size and strength. According to St. Augustine, the more the love of God reigns in every man, so much the less wickedness has dominion over him. So when the love of God grows in me, sin will have no dominion over me. In this verse, the psalmist pray for direction in the path of duty and deliverance from the power of sin. Direct my steps, so he's asking for direction. And also, sin has no dominion over him. 
The third request after he said, look upon me, direct my steps. The third request in verse 134, redeem me from the oppression of man that I may keep your precepts. Redeem me. The third request recognizes that there are dangers beyond the potential dominion of sin. There are dangers from the oppression of man, from those who would oppose and oppress. That's why the psalmist asked for this, redeem me from the oppression of man that I may keep your precepts. He did not just want liberty from man's oppression so he could serve himself, no. The reason he is asking God to redeem him that he properly obey God as he said that I may keep your precepts. So when you redeem me from the oppression of men, the main reason I want to be redeemed in order to be able to keep your precepts. The psalmist knows oppression can distress and trouble his life. So he is praying God will spare him from anything that may hinder his walk with God. He wants to be covered by divine precepts, not by human pressure, oppression of men. Then the fourth request in verse 135, first one look upon me, second one direct my step, third one redeem me from the oppressors, fourth request make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. He is asking the face of God to shine upon him. He is asking for to experience the grace and goodness of God. Because the shining of God's faith upon us is a picture of grace. Because God illuminates the one who desires to do his will. So God will enlighten those who want to do the will of God. And the language here is similar to the blessing and the benediction of Aaron, the high priest in the Old Covenant. We, we find this benediction in the book of Numbers chapter 6 from 24 to 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So he is praying that the face of God may shine upon him. To know the face of God shining upon him is to be at peace with God and to know that God also is at peace with me. According to St. Augustine, he said, teach me your statutes. David said, teach me your statutes. The word teach me your statutes means teach me to do and apply them. Teach me to do your will. So the psalmist here is not asking for riches, for money, for silver, for gold, but ask that the face of God might shine upon him that he may learn the commandments of God. So the psalmist pleads for God's favor in teaching him the truth. He was clearly a man who loved God's truth, but he never felt as if he did not need to know more. Always, always David asking God, teach me, teach me. He repeated the word teach me in the Psalm 119 several times. 
he always sought to learn from God's word. St. Athanasius says that Jesus Christ is God's face that came into the world to teach us the truth. So shine, make your face, make your son shine upon us by his incarnation and to teach us the commandments of God. Then the last verse in section 17, he said, Rivers of water run down from my eyes, because men do not keep your law. So when he saw the people not keeping the law of God, he started to cry. So in closing verse of this section, the psalmist laments that not everyone has the same commitment to the word of God as he does. That's why rivers of water ran down from his eyes. It's not gentle weeping, no. But his eyes like a fountain which pours out full flowing streams. This reminds me of what we read in Jeremiah chapter 9 verse 1. Oh that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. So the psalmist did not sorrow over his own troubles, those who oppress him, but he grieves over the sins of others and the consequences those sins would bring for the, those who neglect the word of God. As the Lord Jesus Christ grieved over Jerusalem and over the hard hearts of the religious leaders, as we read in Mark chapter 3 verse 5, so the psalmist is grieving here. This is godly sorrow, because he did not weep for his own troubles, although they were many, but he wept for the dishonor done to God, because men do not keep your law. And why people reject the truth and the word of God? Because they don't love God. Obedience to the word of God is evidence of our love to God. As the Lord said, he who loves me, keep my commandment. Then the 18th section starts with Sant, verse 137. Righteous are you, O Lord, and upright, all your judgment. Righteous are you, O Lord, and upright, all your judgments. So in this section, one may note that the word righteous or righteousness is used frequently. Because understanding that God is righteous, what does this mean? And how this impacts the word of God? It is necessary. If God is righteous, then his word is righteous. His judgment are righteous. In general terms, righteousness means what? Righteousness means to do what's right, to do what's correct. It assumes a standard and describes a state of perfect harmony with that standard. If God, everything he does is correct, his word will be correct, will be righteous. This affirmation of God's righteousness is not only stating that God meets the standard of righteousness, but God himself is a standard. When we say about a person he is righteous, means he meets the standards of righteousness, although no one is perfectly righteous. But when we speak about God, God himself is the standard. That's why he said, righteous are you, O Lord. You are the standard. The righteousness of God 
the infinite goodness and perfection of his nature. The psalmist here sings the Lord praise because the Lord is without fault. When he said, righteous are you, O Lord, mean you are without fault, blameless, honest, sinless, always right, always just. There is nothing lacking, nothing incorrect in God. His will, the will of God, is the eternal rule of equity. He is righteous, and what he does according to his righteousness is righteous also. He is righteous in all his ways, in all his ways, and works of nature and grace. He is righteous in his thoughts, he is righteous in his purposes, he is righteous in his counsels, he is righteous in his providence, he is righteous in his works. Everything, God's judgment, his decision, and decrees are perfectly straight, upright, have no waver, and nor do they fluctuate. That's why he told him, Righteous are you, O Lord, and upright are your judgments. His judgments are righteous because he is righteous, that he rules, and the way he judges is right. St. Augustine says, This righteousness of God and righteous judgment and truth is to be feared by every sinner. Why? For thereby all who are condemned are condemned of God. If God is righteous, then the sinners, those who reject repentance, should be afraid because God will judge them with his righteous judgment. Therefore the tears of the penitent those who repent are needful. We need to repent with tears, since if his impenitent heart, those who do not repent, were condemned, he would be mostly, he would be most justly condemned. He will be condemned by the righteous decrees of God. Not only God is righteous, but His word also is righteous, as we read in verse 138. Your testimonies, which you have commanded, commanded, are righteous and very faithful. Your testimonies, which you have commanded, are righteous and very faithful. The written word of God reflects the righteous character of God and reflects that God is very faithful. Everything that proceeds from God is of the perfection of His nature. Because he is perfect in his nature, everything comes from him is perfect. God's commandments, which bear witness to his will and man's duty, are the expression of his absolute righteousness. And also expression of God's faithfulness to his covenant, to his promises, which is an unchangeable element of that righteousness. So the word of God bear witness to the will of God, which is righteous, our duties, what we should do, and also expression of the absolute righteousness and faithfulness of God to his promises, to his covenant. The scripture represent and reflect the character of God. So from the scripture, we know who God is. The word of God, the revelation, the mirror revealing who God is can be trusted because the one without fault spoke it himself. 
So why we trust the word of God? Because the one who said these words are righteous and faithful. That's why the psalmist was grieved and angered by men's disobedience to God's command. If the word of God is righteous and God himself is righteous and faithful, he became angry as he said in verse 139, my zeal has consumed me, has eaten me up because my enemies have forgotten your words. My enemies has forgotten your words. So the word zeal that consumed him indicate intense emotion. Here it is zeal for God and his glory. The living and active word of God brought forth a living and active response from the psalmist. His zeal consumed him. And the more the enemies of the psalmist rejected the word of God, the more he was determined to be zealous for these words. As difficulties increases, his zeal also for the word of God increased. He would make sure that he honored the word of God even if others did not. So if others did not obey the word of God, David will continue. And the knowledge that he gets from the word of God drives him, consumes him, has eaten him up. Such was the psalmist's high view of the testimony of God, that his spirit was consumed with severe grief in witnessing other people neglecting the word of God. This actually reminds us, do you remember when the Lord Jesus Christ entered into the temple and he found people buying and selling and he drove them out and also the money changer? The disciples actually remembered how it is written in the book of Psalms, zeal for your house has eaten me up. Here the psalm said, the zeal has consumed me when I see my enemies disobeying your word. So this verse 139, my zeal has consumed me, it carries the same thought, like when the Lord Jesus Christ entered the temple and drove the people out, and reflect the kind of zeal that Jesus had when he cleared the temple courts, they had forgotten his word, because the people made the house of God a house of merchandise. Verse 140, your word is very pure very pure, righteous. Therefore, your servant loves it. I told you there is a progression here. Number one, he loves the word of God. Number two, he will not forget it. Number three, he will delight in it. So your word is very pure. Therefore, your servant loves it. Even though there are hindrances, persecution, or opposition to the truth, it doesn't make the psalmist doubt but drives him to another level of love and zeal. Your words are very pure. So, yes, people neglect the word of God, disobey the word of God, but this actually made David look at the word of God as very pure. They are the words of the righteous God, and he loves them. As if the word of God tried, refined, purified, like gold in the furnace, absolutely perfect, without the dross of vanity and fallibility, and proven to be right. The love he talks about 
is a hunger for more. He wants to understand more the word of God. Because of the righteousness, the nature, and the strength of the word of God, he cannot get enough of it, especially during difficult time. He needs the word of God more and more, because the word of God is righteous and strong. A godly man loves the word of God, which is an evidence of a sanctified heart. But the carnal man who loves the world hates the word of God because it forbids and condemns all the impurity of flesh and spirit, all his impure thoughts, words, and actions. If we love the word of God, this means we love God. And when we love the word of God for the sake of its purity, this will make us understand God because the word of God bears the image of God's holiness. And if the word of God totally consumes the people and their love for God increases, there will be no place for sin or fear or anxiety. The more we love the word of God, the more sin and anxiety and fear will disappear. Only the truth that brings strength and comfort will stay when we love the word of God. Verse 141 I am small and despised, yet I do not forget your precepts. So the psalmist felt himself insignificant, both in his own sight, small, and in the view of others, he is despised. King Saul despised him, Absalom his son despised him, Achidover despised him. Yet he found comfort and strength in remembering the word of God. It also shows us that the psalmist would not neglect God's word when he was depressed or downcast. Many times when we are depressed or downcast or go through difficult time, it is a challenge for us to remain faithful to these circumstances. But to not to forget the word of God when we go through difficult time is one of the clearest proofs that we are attached to God, we are his children. Even though David was small and worthless, but he has the almighty law and regulation to help him with his relationship with God. When we feel we are low, we are nothing, but we have the word of God that help us to strengthen our relationship with God. Through the word of God, he finds his own identity, not in the world, not in himself, but in God and in his word. We might be unimportant or small, but we can be strong by knowing that we are known by the only true God. God knows us. And the reason that he can sing about God's law and acknowledge and appreciate the Lord because he humbled himself and see God through his word. God reveals himself to the humble. When David humbled himself and found he is small and he appreciated the word of God and, and the law of God, then God was revealed to David through the word. So it is because David knows the truth that he feels safe and alive. That's why he said in verse 142, 
Your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and your law is truth. We will feel safe in life when we abide by the truth of the word of God. The psalmist, seeing who God is, is driven to feel small. So when I stand before God and I know God is perfectly righteous, then in front of God I feel I am nothing. The word of God should humble people into submitting to God and His word. When you feel you are nothing in the presence of God, then you will submit to Him and obey Him. Also the Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, was despised by the people. The apostles were despised by the people. And people of God in all ages have been despised by others. Scholar Origen said about this verse, I am small and despised. He said this refers to the church of the Gentiles. Because as they were new to the faith, they were despised by the Jews who preceded them in faith to God and they were part of the old covenant. But the Gentiles, like us, they were not forgotten by God. God opened before them the gates of faith and salvation. Then he said, your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness. Why? Because with God there is no variation or shadow of turning. God's righteousness is pure abstract right. One and the same always, not shifting like human ideas of justice. Our human ideas, the law, the human law can change from one time to another time, but not with God. That's why he said, your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness. Your law is truth. St. Augustine says, no wonder that those who have forgotten the word of God, who chose to establish their own righteousness, are ignorant of God's righteousness. While he, David, the smaller here, because he did not forget the law of God, because he is seeking the word of God, not his own righteousness. He is seeking the righteousness of God, about whom he says, your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and your law is truth. Everlasting righteousness means there never has been a time, nor will there be a time in the future when God's righteousness has been anything other than righteous. So God's righteousness is always, always, always right, perfect, correct. And the truthfulness of the word of God is directly tied to his personal righteousness. If God is righteous, then he cannot reveal himself in a manner that less than perfectly accurate and correct. If God is righteousness, how can he reveal himself as imperfect? So always, always God reveals himself in accurate and correct way. There has never been a time, nor will there be a time when the scripture is anything less than completely, holy, utterly true and righteous. 143. Trouble and anguish have overtaken me, yet your commandments are my delight. In 143, he is saying, I am always, always adhere to God despite of the difficulties and the discouragement that I am facing every day.
Despite the difficulties of his life, the psalmist still found delight in the word of God. He can find delight during affliction and rejoice in hard times because he is finding his rest in the word of God. And he believes that God is in control. And God who is in control is righteous. So even during the time of hardships and tribulations, I am delighted. I did not lose my peace because God who is righteous is in control. So this speaks to his response to the trouble. Not to the trouble themselves. Yes, troubles are plenty. But how he responds to the, the trouble to go to the word of God and delight himself in the word of God. His appreciation of God and his word was not only valid in good times, but even in the time of trouble and anguish, he delights in the word of God. So even trouble and anguish has overtaken them, he is unmovable in his faith. Sometimes we look for delight in circumstances around us, but David was the opposite. He finds delight in knowing, understanding, and obeying the commandment of God. Knowing, understanding, and obeying the commandment of God, even during the time of hardship and tribulation. Last verse in our Bible said tonight, The righteousness of your testimonies is everlasting. Again, he is confirming this. Give me understanding, and I shall live. So the Psalms end this contemplation of the character of God's law with prayer for fuller understanding of it. Give me understanding and I shall live. For through the knowledge of the word of God and obeying the word of God, we will live and truly realize the purpose of our life, the purpose of our being. David found understanding the word of God more important than being saved from his trouble and anguish. In verse 143, he said, trouble and anguish has overtaken me. Maybe you expect to say, deliver me from the trouble and anguish. But he said, give me understanding and I shall live. So what makes him live? Not to be delivered from the trouble and anguish, but if he understand the word of God, if he abides the, by the word of God. Those that know much of the word of God should still desire and want to know more. The more we know the word of God, the more we look for more understanding. For always, always there is more to be known. So the psalmist knows that understanding the Lord's word will give him life and courage. Give me understanding and I shall live. It will revive him and will enable him to stand strong in a challenging time. He seeks understanding of divine and spiritual things. Give me understanding. Understanding will lead to life and I shall live. He will live, shall be eternally happy. As the Lord said, this is eternal life. That they may know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This actually concludes our Bible study tonight.